All right. And it says this, when he, I'm sorry, that's verse 1. One more one here. Afterward, he was on his way to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd were, were traveling with him. Just as he neared the gate of the town, a dead man was being carried out. Son, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the city was also with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, Don't weep. Then he came up and touched the open coffin, and the pallbearers stopped. And he said, Young man, I tell you, get up. The, the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Then and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his, visited his people. This report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. Lord Jesus, we pray this morning that you would open up your words to us. Lord, by the power of your spirit, Lord, that you, that you would uh, speak through me, your words. As we delve into this, God, I, I pray that your that your very nature, Lord, the, the, as, as you said, look, look to me and you have seen the Father. So, Lord, I pray that the words and the identity and the, just the beauty of the Father would jump off of the page at us here this morning. Let us see the Father through you, Jesus. And for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. <coughs> in just a moment here. Here we go. All right, so there was a book put out a while back called, I believe it's called The Rise of the Nuns by this author named Tom Rainier. And he is the kind of the head director guy of Lifeway Christian, Resor Christian Resources, which used to be the Southern Baptist uh, Sunday School Board. But there was uh, a research that was done about the nuns. And this is actually one done by an American Baptist uh, minister over in Washington. And he just took all the raw data that's available to all of us and just put it into a chart and, and just put it out there for people to see. And this, just, this, thing, this thing blew up. Like this thing went so viral and like CNN picked it up and you know, political you know, picked it up and Lifeway picked it up and all these, you know, Christianity Today and like all these different articles and news resources picked this up. And this is just tracking um, the, 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 the statistics of people you know, th you know, percentage of population and the years and each denomination or, or sect of faith. And as you can see, there, is, there are different trends that are going on, as you can see going on there. The main two that I want to point out is the purple and the orange. <coughs> because if, as you'll notice, black Protestant, other faith, Jewish, you know, Catholic and even evangelical for the most part, they are staying pretty constant in the you know, mid-20s or so. But you'll see this mainline denomination, so we're talking like Presbyterian, you know, Episcopalian, Methodist, all, all the ists and eons, and you know, all these different mainline Protestant uh, denominations. Now at Evangelical, we're talking more like probably like around the terms of like Southern Baptist, non-denominational, Assembly of God, those kinds of, you know, our church, like basically like kind of more non-denominational type churches um, that are more str you know, strictly evangelical. Whereas you see a, a great decline of mainline evangelicalism, I'm sorry, mainline Protestantism with the rise of the nuns, what's called the, the nuns. Now, this was like an hour and a half podcast that we watched. Um, 
but it's very interesting to see the statistics that he was pulling out. And even with the rise of the nuns, I don't want that to be too deceiving. So you see the, the rise of no religion at all. That's why they call the nuns. You know, not like, you know, the nuns isn't like Catholics. <laughs> like, when, you know, when, they, when they do, like, fill out a, a, a survey, you know, Christian, Buddhist, Jew, you know, whatever, or none. And they fill out none. They check none. <laughs> so that's, that's where the phrase none comes from, is no religion. And so the, ri- the rise of, of no religion is really taking over the U.S. This, these are statistics strictly in the West here. But what they're no- also noticing, I want to I point out, is that they're also uh, noticing that it's not th- they're not turning atheist or agnostic necessarily. They're just simply withdrawing themselves from church. You know, often not just be- you know, they're not just leaving mainline evangel- you know mainline Protestantism with the rise, but they're also shifting over maybe to evangelicalism, new age or whatever, but oftentimes they're just simply backing off of expressing any sort of spirituality or religion at all, period. And, but the greatest thing is, you know, with the statistics, like the, the amount that go to like agnosticism or atheism, like is agnostic is basically like you can't know. Like we, we just don't know. Having to find it, we, we can't, we, like we can't know, there's no reason to try to, you know, figure it out. And then atheism is they, you know, there, there is no God and I hate him. So, <laughs> basically, <laughs> you know, and then the, but the, the vast majority of, of people who go to this like no preference type thing, they, they have no preference of, of faith tradition. They're the ones that oftentimes will come back to a faith tradition, most often one that's more evangelical, which is why we're seeing a great decline of main, mainline of you know, Protestants. And I think one, some, so a few takeaways that I want to see about this is people are becoming more and more, just as a society, apathetic overall. You know, the, 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 uh, the amount of people being philanthropic and, you know, giving, to, giving donations to, uh, you know, benevolently to people has decreased. People participating in, like, fraternal orders or, you know, th- things like that or auxiliaries is decreasing. People just, you know, participating in anything relational is declining. Anything that gets them out of their house, away from their, their console, their video game console, or away from their Netflix, you know, they're just not up for it. And so it, it's basically like it's taking all that we can because so much has entered into the home that it's hard to get people out of their home to do anything these days uh, in all generations. And that's, that's true of, of many generations. You know, and so we're seeing this overall apathy going over as well. Um, those who preach the gospel are more likely to maintain Christians. Let me say that again. That sounded funky. Those who preach the gospel and the Bible and the authority of Scripture and the truth of Jesus Christ and the gospel of the cross and the resurrection are more likely to keep Christians. What's happening to mainline Protestantism? Why? Because they're not preaching the gospel. There is a steady decline in churches like congregational churches, Methodist churches, Episcopalian churches, Presbyterian churches of the USA. Like so many of these mainline Protestant denominations that are stopping preaching this. They might preach this, maybe a verse or two to talk about a good moral that Jesus was trying to teach us a good moral, but they don't teach change. They don't teach authority. They don't teach the... The, the faith claims of the Bible, of truth, the truth claims of the Scripture. 
And there's been this, this mass decline in a lot of their denominations. This is just in the USA? This is just USA. Yeah. Wow. It's even worse in Europe. Oh, gosh, don't get me started on Europe. <laughs> um, so like we said, the majority of nuns are becoming more nothing in particular than atheists or agnostics. Um, <clears throat> nuns are open to the gospel and are more likely to come back. Um, but here, but here's, here's the thing, because nuns are looking for a faith that matters. I think many of us have this story that we just were like, we said, screw religion. You know, I'm out. I had a harmful experience that pastor was a jerk or a controlling manipulator or that, that that church was unloving and super judgmental. Why would I ever want to go back to that, you know, to a church tradition that makes me feel constantly bad about myself, that I'm never enough, that I'll never be enough, and that God hates me and just wants me to repent all the time? Been there, done that, threw away, burned the t-shirt, <laughs> you know. They never gave us any, you know. But, so this is the thing, the, the nuns, we, I think that's the reason why we're in this building. That's why we came, that's why we got out of bed, that's why we, most of us took a shower this morning. <laughs> you know. <laughs> that's why we got out of bed this morning. There's a purpose, there's a cause, there's a reason that we got out of bed in the morning today to come to this room to worship and to listen to the gospel being preached. There's a reason. Because we're looking for a faith that matters. We're looking for a faith that moves mountains. We're looking for a faith that says, there's, here's the answer, here's the hope, here's the joy, here's the purpose for living. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Love you guys too. We're looking for compassion for life. And that's what this whole whole message this morning is about. Is having compassion for life. To cultivate life. To bring life. Having compassion for life in general. Human beings and, and, and the world that God created. For the life that God created for us to live. And having compassion, looking, looking through our lives, looking at, at our lives and living our lives through the lens of compassion. It's a great, so I'm not going to read this passage, but you, if you want to write this down for your notes, uh, or, or, you know, doggy ear the page. Is that right, doggy ear the page? Doggy. <laughs> um, so 1 Kings 17, so this passage is so reminiscent of a story from 1 Kings chapter 17, where Elijah, the great prophet from the Old Testament, um, is called by God to go to this area in Sidon, which again, remember, it's Gentile. It's, it's pagan. Um, and he, you know, Elijah is called to go in the power of a, pro- of, a, of a great prophet to go to this place, and God leads him to this widow and her son. And, he's, and he sits down by the well, and she comes to draw water, and he's like, can you get me some water? And also, while you're at it, can you make me a cake? And she's like, well, sir... I, I'm, I'm, about, I'm actually taking this cake right now, this water, to home because I only have a handful of, of flour to make the last cake for my son and I before we just give up and die. Because there's great famine, there's no, there's no food, everyone is dying. And Jesus says, the Lord, I'm sorry, Elijah says, woman, I tell you, this, this is what the Lord says, that your flour will not run out, your oil will not run dry until it rains. So go and do what I asked you to do. And so she said, okay, I believe, I believe what you say. 
And so she did. And the handful of flour was there again the next day. And there again the next day. And the oil refilled itself and refilled itself. And miraculously, this miracle that sustained her and her son until it rained again and the crops came and they were able to live. And this is very reminiscent of that. This widow and her son. Well, what happened? Well, the guy already died. The, 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 you know, in this story, you know, in this narrative, the, the guy was already dead. Right. Like, what's the hope? So if we look at this passage, we see certain things. So what you said, a dead man was being carried out, as it says, of the town. Well, because cemeteries were outside the city gates. Duh. <laughs> you don't want to bury those people inside the gates. Um, and so, now, so the cemeteries were outside the gates. So this is within, they want to bury their dead within 24 hours uh, because they didn't have them bombing. They didn't have that technology yet. And so they were like, get him on the ground before he starts stinking. Right. You know, but here's the thing. There was no hope. None. The life had gone out of him. They had called together the, you know, the, they brought the, brought the people together to declare him dead. He was not breathing, no heartbeat. He was dead. Dead as a doornail. Like Marley in a Christmas story. <laughs> dead as a doornail. But here, setting up this picture for us. So, is it that whenever someone died, it was a whole town event. And maybe there was much compassion, but men were the ones that were the providers. And without men in a woman's life, they had nothing. They were destitute. And this woman was already widowed, and this was her only son. Her only means to be taken care of in, this, in, in that life, in that culture, in that context. All of her hope was now gone. She was in a raw, raw place. You ever been there? You ever been there where like something traumatic happens, a death in the family or a, or a situation, that phone call, whatever it is that comes in your life and everything in you just drops. All hope is gone. The all visions of the future, the trajectory that you thought you were going to be on, the, the way that you envisioned your life live, being, and, being, and living it, when you get served those papers, or you find that note, it changes everything. This woman was a different person than the day before, I guarantee you. She's probably happy and smiling. Rejoicing, serving people in her home. And now she's devastated. In the blink of an eye. All faith is gone. And the whole town is coming out with her. Because, you know, you know cemetery, or funerals back then were, were a very big deal. And not only the, the, I mean, the whole town was there, but they also hired professional mourners to wail. <laughs> And cry. Why? So that the mourning family wouldn't be embarrassed. They could, they could weep freely. They could mourn and wail themselves and just unleash their emotions and completely just let it all out. Now we're like, you got to suck that stuff up. Like, kind of get your, you know, kind of pull yourself together, man. Be strong. Because strength is now, you can't, can't mourn, you can't show any sign of weakness. You can't cry. Real men don't cry. Get over it. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. 
You know? And we feel that pressure when, pe- when someone dies in our culture. Get back to normal as soon as you can. Okay, you, you've been mourning for a good four days now. You should be over it by now. Get back to work. Their state of mourning was a year. They would mourn. They had this mourning period of two weeks, but they mourned a season of mourning for a year in the Bible, in the scriptural times. So you see this whole crowd coming out of the city. But here's the thing. You see a whole crowd following Jesus. It almost looks like there's going to be a gang war or something. There's like these two big crowds that are coming and about to collide because Jesus is leading the way to enter into Nain. And he's leading the way, you know, butting up against this, you know, this, this, this processional. Maybe he was like standing in their way. They're like, dude, you got to move. We've got to bury this guy. Like, move your crowd. I mean, come on. Right? Have some respect. But what does he say? He says, don't weep. Oh, what? Don't weep. Do you know what's going on? Do you hear the wailers? Do you see the coffin? Open your eyes. Wake up, dude. What is going on? What does it say about Jesus? His heart went out. That's what this word compassion means. Is, is literally my heart goes out to you. It's not just a pity like I feel sorry for you. It's like, I want to do something. I am led and driven and compelled to do something. That's why, you know, a few weeks ago, I preached a sermon called Compassion Compels, before, a little bit before Easter. Jesus was not, in this passage, <clears throat> is not just simply displaying his power and divinity, because Jesus has power over death. Amen. As we, we know the ending, we, we see the cross. We're, we're on this side of the cross. Right. We know that the cross was not the, was not the period. Right. It was a semicolon. Right. Jesus put the period on. Actually, he didn't put a period on. He put an exclamation point. I was going to say, an exclamation point. With the resurrection. Because yeah. death is not the end if you believe in Jesus. But here's the thing. He's not just put, displaying his power and divinity by raising this man. He's also, and more pointedly, you know, showing you know, the, all these Gospels and these healing accounts are displaying God's love and compassion. You should just putting this on display. I mean, this woman was destitute, widowed, and this being, of course, like I said, like her only son, they would, she was done. She had no future. She was going to be like the widow and just like, you know, in, in the first Kings, and just make herself her last cake and go off and die. Because she had nothing. But it was through compassion. Mainly, here's the thing. Mainly for the widow. Not even necessarily for the man. God, you know, Jesus had compassion on her. Who was impacted by the death of, of her son. And she was the one that he, that he had compassion for. Here's the thing about this. It's interesting. There was no faith ever exuded in this passage by anyone. Now, this is, this is in contrast. So Luke is putting these two miracles together with the centurion's slave and healing him from afar because of the great faith, as you know, an act of faith of the centurion, and this one with complete lack of faith altogether that there was any hope that this man could be raised and here's the thing. They were not even expecting it. They didn't ask for it. They weren't seeking Jesus for him to come and heal this man. 
They were in mourning. They were just taking him out to bury him. And Jesus came. I, I love that. But God came near. As we can see, what does this cause? What is this, this, the reaction of the crowd in this? So they recognized the power of Jesus. Then you know, fear and awe came over everyone, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And then what does it say? This report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. They recognized the power of Jesus. I mean, kind of hard to miss it. I mean, I almost, I, I, I literally was, was mowing the lawn on, on Thursday and I was like, hmm, I wonder if I could call a funeral home and have them deliver a casket and have Eric pop out of it in the middle of my sermon. You know? <laughs> Freak everyone out. Yeah. <laughs> you would do it, too. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Not sure if those are airtight, though. <laughs> Not sure if those coffins are airtight, though. No, I, mean, <laughs> I don't want to die before I you know, have to. Man. Right, right. It's hard. It was hard to miss this, this miracle, but here's the coolest thing. Remember, two crowds coming together, like probably, I don't even know how many people, probably at least hundreds, yeah. you know, if not dozens, or maybe over a thousand. I don't even know. Tons of people everywhere. And like basically, like they come together and right smack in the middle of him, <laughs> miracle. Mind-blowing. What? Mic drop. You can't miss it when you see it in person. Of course, 21st century intelligent minds might be like, oh, he wasn't really dead. He he was just sleeping. He was only mostly dead. That's right. (laughs) But they made sure he, he, he was dead. You know, when we encounter God in his word like this, when you're reading passages in your, in your Bible, and I pray you are, I pray you're, you're reading your scripture at home. I pray you open it up during the week and you see and experience this. When you, when you encounter God like this, do we enter into this and feel awe ourselves? I think sometimes we can get so familiar with it that we're like, oh yeah, there's Jesus bringing another God to life. But enter into that. Enter into God's presence. This is where praying by the Spirit, this is where entering into God's presence as you're reading His Word, that's why it says the Word of God, the Scripture, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of bone and marrow, soul and spirit. It's living and active when we read it with Jesus. Because here's the thing, we can how cool would it be to read the Constitution, the, the Declaration, Declaration of Independence, you know, be a fly on the wall in Independence Hall as these men were writing it and discussing it? Because you hear their heart behind it. You listen to the passion for freedom. Or maybe your favorite author, you're reading this, this book, this, this, uh, you know, this, this autobiography, you know, on some great figure in history. And you're there with the person who's writing it. 
You're hearing their passion. You're hearing their emotion. That's what we get when we read the Bible. We can sit with Jesus, the author of the Word of God, because Jesus is the Word of God. And we can feel this. We can experience this. Do you get goosebumps? Are we amazed when we read passages like this? These are the reasons. these, These authors, there's reasons why they put these in here. For us to be able to feel it ourselves, to enter into this this narrative. Imagine a Facebook post of this exact thing today. Right? Got a picture of someone in there, you know, got two pictures, right? Dead, you know, and then walking around, talking, right? Facebook Live it, right? Like following Jesus around. Some dude pops up, whoa! Like, it's like shaking and <laughs> start, crying. <laughs> start crying. Oh my gosh! Like the whole crowd. I mean, think about this. The crowd. What is the crowd doing? They're like, what? And they're like, oh, did you see that? Did you see that? Did you, did you see that? The whole crowd is probably going nuts. Golly. And what does he do? Jesus, in very prophet-like you know, form, takes her son and gives him back to his mother. Like, you know, like in 1 Kings, it says this, Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know you are a man of God, and the Lord's word from your mouth is true. <coughs> Elijah, up in the upper room, after, oh yeah, because after they, I forgot to mention that part of the story, so after they, God you know, delivered them through Elijah, the son died. And then he, you know, Elijah took him to an upper room and prostrated himself out on, on him three times and begged the Lord, please, Lord, heal this, you know, bring this, restore this man to life. Restore this, man, this, this boy to his, to his mother. And he, ro- and he rose up and he grabbed the boy and brought him downstairs and gave him to his mother. And Jesus takes the boy and gives him back to his mother. So Jesus is saying, don't miss this, you guys. I'm not just a great prophet. I am the son of God. I am, as the Bible says, the son of man, which is known as this prophetic, this powerful expression of God, the presence of God. That's why they said, um, you know, that's why they said, um, a, a great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. This is during like the times of great favor when his spirit is being poured out. This is what they've been looking forward to. This is what they've been anticipating. The prophecies of Joel chapter 2, like God coming near, God pouring himself out on everyone, and people going nuts with joy. Joy nuts? Joy nuts. Coined it. Like... <laughs> Like David, like dancing half naked before the Ark of the Covenant, going nuts. What would you think if I was up here, like in my in my you know box of briefs, and just like going crazy up here at the altar, just dancing? <laughs> right? Be like, I can't get that mental picture out of my head. <laughs> 
<laughs> but it's, it's this, the word from the mouth of Jesus is true. And this is what Jesus' point was, was getting at. Just like now, the, you know, Elijah's, I mean, Elijah's miracle where this woman said, now I know that you are a man of God. And the Lord's word from your mouth is true. Everything that, you've pro- everything that you prophesy, everything that you say is God's words. Now I know because I've seen it for myself. And this is what Jesus is trying to convey to, these, to both these crowds. That now they are, they are to know that Jesus is the Son of Man, the Son of God. And every word from his mouth is true. What happens when God doesn't come through what you ask for? Right, we get disappointed, right? Oftentimes we're like, well, God, I prayed in faith. God, I've been going to church for a long time. God, I've been reading your Bible. God, I've been praying. I'm trying to have faith here, God, but you're not healing me. You're not, I keep asking for healing, God, but you keep letting me down. You keep letting me down. You keep letting me down. Like, that's why you know, I oftentimes had issues with that last song. You've never failed me yet? Well, let me list out the ways, God. You didn't let me win the lottery like I thought you said you were going to. You didn't heal this person. You let my loved one pass away. You let that person do this to me, God. What's up, bro? What's the matter with you, God? When we pray for God's power, we oftentimes come up disappointed. Because our feelings of, you know, God came through are often based on specific answers that we want God to just simply read back to us, our own script. But when we pray for God's compassion, it will never leave us disappointed. Because we often pray for God's power, but not necessarily for his compassion. Maybe that's the way we need to change our, our, our prayers. God, I want you, not what you can do for me. In the midst of my suffering, in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my loss, give me you. I want your compassion. Have compassion on me, Lord. Bring me healing. Bring me peace. Bring me comfort. Yeah, like the, like the saying says, let go and let God. Let go of your script. Let go of your control. And lay it at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, because that opens your hands to receive, to look up at the cross and say, give me you. Let me receive the compassion that you are giving me dying on the cross for me. Show me the Father. Show me the heart of the Father. Leave the results up to God. Praying in faith and knowing that God will use all things for good, whether they are according to your script or not. Ultimate good. Here's the ultimate good. True good.
not what we define as good. And here's another encouragement too. Jesus is never late. Not like me sometimes. Try not to be late. (laughs) He's not early either. That's right. It's on his time. God's timing is always perfect. We may not like it. We may wrestle with it. We may argue and pull and strain and you know, try to move God faster. Come on, God. Like, you know, as if we're like trying to pull God, like, like pulling a toddler. You know, come on. But he's always on time. This is the essence of the gospel, is trust. Is saying, instead of me trying to pull God to my timing and my direction and giving him my script to live, it's instead of pulling him my direction, it's getting behind him and saying, God, you lead me. Because I know wherever you lead me, Psalm 23, the shepherd, the good shepherd, my Lord, the Lord is the good shepherd. I shall not want. He's going to lead me to green pastures. He's going to lead me to the calm streams. He's going to protect me. If I get out ahead of the shepherd, I'm going to, that's a dangerous place. So get behind the shepherd. Follow the shepherd. Follow the good shepherd, the author and perfecter of our faith. This is the essence of the gospel. Like the, you know, the, the, the uh, Peter's call in Acts chapter 2. This is, our, this is my, the Alan Feltz version. Every one of you must change your mind about God and be dunked, immersed by a faith that is grounded in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the generous gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the essence about changing your mind, changing your trajectory by getting yourself out of the, the, the way of making the trajectory and getting behind the one who leads you in a good trajectory. Because here's the, here's the four elements of, I would say, so have you, you've heard of the ABCs of, of, of faith? You know, well, I'm going to give you the ABCDs of faith. Admit that you're a sinner separated from a holy God. That's the first step is knowing and believing that we are sinners. Humanity is is broken, fallen, sinful, and separated from God. That we are unholy, dramatically, as he is holy and mighty. And so we admit our rightful place under him and our separation from him. Second is believe that God became a man in Jesus, walked among us, lived a perfect life, died a horrible, horrific death on a cross, in your place. That's important. You deserve that. Grasp that. Every single one of us in this room. But he took it for us. He said, get out of the way. I will take this. And he nailed himself to the cross. For our sin in our place and we believe that he did that and on the third day what rose again rose again from the dead and then confess jesus as lord and savior this is this confession like i believe it and now i'm going to speak it i'm going to confess it and how do i confess it d i'm going to get dunked immerse myself you get, get immersed by the Holy Spirit. 
you know, the elders surrounding you and laying hands on you and receiving the Holy Spirit, being baptized. What you got? We, I just bought a, a, I bought a little, little tub, an eight foot by four foot by two foot tub that Cordell's going to make into a baptismal. So we can have baptisms. All right. Excited. All right. So we're going we're gonna to do a baptism. We're going to have baptisms here at the church. So if you want to be baptized, we all go. We all going to be baptized. Okay, not all of us, but you know, <laughs> baptism party. Everyone's getting baptized. <laughs> if the toddlers are involved, you probably will. But just kidding. But this is this, this is a symbol. This is the to get baptized is to proclaim your faith. That's where you confess. You proclaim your faith in Jesus Christ, and it's a symbol of as you're being covered in the water. You're being, your sins are being washed away. The old man is dying and being buried with Christ in a baptism unto death like his. And when you come out of the water, you, I was just telling my son about this, you're, you're being raised out of death, washed clean by the blood of, the, of, of Christ to walk a new life. This is where our great confession comes from. And we call it the Apostles' Creed, but I like to call it the Great Confession. I believe in God, the, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, was born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy, Universal, United, Catholic Church, that means all those things, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. That is the basic tenet of our faith. That is Christianity in a nutshell. Those are the things, if you don't agree with that, you're not a Christian. You're not a saint. But to, to be a Christian is to believe these things. And what is the Lord saying to people? If you're, if you're not a believer, if, if you're not a Christian, and you're hearing, hearing this message, haven't, you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ and proclaimed him, you know, pledged your allegiance to him and made him Lord of your life. The Lord is saying to you, rise. Rise. No matter your circumstance, bad, good, stressful, sinful, struggling, this is the essence of the gospel, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2. You know, we who are dead in our trespasses and sins, he has made us alive in Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms. He's calling all of us. That's the essence of the gospel is to rise. Rise from the dead. Rise from your trespasses. Rise from yourself. Get out of yourself. Change your mind from you being in the captain's seat to being in the back seat. Right. Letting the Lord be your chauffeur. Amen. And letting him take you where he wants to go. In Romans 6, I just quoted some of this, but are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so too, so we too may walk in newness of life. That is the gospel is raising to life. It's not like I said, like this, you know, God gave you this holy divine gift card that you swipe with it, you know, is 
you know, covers all your past sins, but now it's up to you to reload that gift card with your good works. And constantly feeling unaware and unsure and you know, not feeling good enough for the Lord, not feeling good enough for God. God, you know, God became a man, died on the cross, and rose from the dead to make you good enough. Amen. Let that sink in. Why? So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This changes everything. If you live a religious life, constantly trying to keep a short account with God, you are going to live a life of death. But if you know that Jesus took all of your sin, past, present, future, all of it on the cross with him, it makes you live a fully alive existence. Knowing that there's now nothing that can ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Now, knowing now that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Live those truths. Because Jesus has raised you from the dead. Why? Because the Lord has had compassion on you. That's the whole purpose. I saw a post uh, on Facebook from a good friend of ours, Betsy Filippi. She came and visited, if you remember, Mike and, and Betsy Filippi that visited here a few years ago. And she said this post that I think, I want us to, to feel ourselves. An angry God that keeps score, punishes you with hardships, makes you sick and threatens to cast you aside, is not a God of love. That image is a, per, a per, perversion uh, that reveals our fear and insecurity. The God that Jesus revealed is nothing like this. God is your Father in heaven who loves you and holds nothing against you. God doesn't want to crush you. He wants to hug you and hold you and rejoice over you with singing, for you are the apple of his eye. The truth is that God loves you unconditionally, no strings attached. He doesn't love you because you are good or keep the rules. He loves you because he is your father, period. Amen. The end. Let that sink in. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. He has risen you from the dead. And oftentimes, not for your sake. Yes, for your sake, to be with him forever. But also think about the family members who have been praying for you for years. Which asks the second question. And, 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 and revelation of, of you know, going out the door. What do we do with this? God is now today sending you back into the world to have compassion on others. The same compassion that God had on you, he wants to show others that same compassion through you. Feel that yourself and feel the weight of what God feels for others in the same position, same position that you were at. But where does it start? It all starts with prayer. If you have a family member or a friend or even some random stranger you see in a coffee shop, your heart and your compassion for that person begins with you simply stopping and asking God, interceding for them in prayer saying, God, would you save them? God, have compassion on them. God, show, show them your love through me and through my life. You've shown me such great compassion and grace 
and mercy. Lord, use me to show that grace and compassion and mercy to others. To that person right there, that weird looking girl in the back of the coffee shop. Open up a conversation. I, or I just simply pray over that person's life right now that you would save them, whether through me or whether through someone else. But it starts with prayer. I said, Elijah brings this, you know, brought this boy back to his widowed mother. Jesus gives this man back to his mother. And as John chapter 17 says, that Jesus prays that we wouldn't be taken out of the world, but that we would be delivered from the evil one. He's giving us back to this world with the power of a relationship with the Father. With life. He's sending us. Why? To be a blessing everywhere we go. And so hear this post again through a perspective of desire for others to experience this. Pray this prayer. You know, an angry God that keeps score. Maybe this person's believing that. Punishes you for hardships, makes you sick and threatens to cast you aside. Is not a God of love. He's a perversion that reveals our fear and insecurity. The God that Jesus revealed is nothing like this. God is your Father in heaven who loves you and holds nothing against you. God doesn't want to crush you. He wants to hug you and hold you and rejoice over you with singing for you are the apple of his eye. The truth is that God loves you unconditionally. No strings attached. He doesn't love you because you are good and keep the rules. He loves you because he wants to be your father. Period. Amen. The end. Pray that prayer over people. Pray that prayer over your friends, over your family, over random strangers, over your cashier, over your server today when you go out for lunch. Pray this prayer over your, over your server. That they would experience Christ through you. As they're serving you, you can be serving them Amen. in a greater way. To be a blessing. To call, just like Jesus called these people, to rise and experience the compassion for life. The Lord's compassion. As we've experienced his love, mercy, and compassion, so we need to extend that grace, love, and compassion to others in the same way. And then rejoice when we get to baptize them. Get to dunk them. I've been praying for you for years. And I'm going to go nuts when you come to faith in Jesus. Yeah. Because it's good. Life in the, in the, as, a, as a Christian is good. It is not. It's good. Man. To think that the Christian life is boring is to not understand the, the true Christian life described in the Bible. And this is the life that we proclaim. This is the hope that we proclaim. And this is the hope that we live in every day. So Jesus, we thank you so much for this time together with you. Lord, we pray that you would remind us of the compassion that you have for us. The love and mercy that you have for us. And God, I pray that you would empower each of us with boldness to go and proclaim that goodness to others. To pray for people. To intercede, Lord Jesus, with you so that we can have your heart for people all around us, whether we agree with them, disagree with them, like them, hate them, they hate us, enemies, friends, frenemies, whatever it is, Lord, we, I pray your mercy and your grace, your compassion for everyone in this world.
that you can heal anyone. You can transform anyone. You can deliver anyone. You can bring to life anyone. So we pray, Lord, that you would bring people to life through us by showing this world your compassion and your love by living in your truth. For it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.